2: Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. This is episode 364, and I am here with Drew Tuberville. Drew, how's it going?
3: It's so, going good. Good to be here.
2: And I should have asked you this before I started recording. Am I saying your last name right, or is it Turberville?
3: It's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just it's just It's Turberville, but. I accept Tuberville. Okay. I've been called Turtle Bomb. <laughs> um, I also respond to Hey You. Uh, yeah, it's all good.
2: Because, uh, yeah, I thought Tuberville for a long time, I think, because of the coach. Yeah,
3: and, uh, and my, people ask me if I'm related to him, and I say when he was winning, yes, <laughs> uh, but not so much anymore.
2: Okay. Um, glad we recorded all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll that's keep good. That, I'll probably keep that in. Yeah. Uh, but Drew is here with me. Um, Later in the episode, we'll have Dr. Dan Doriani talking in our rest of Development segment. And then later, we'll have Kurt and Lynn with us talking about frequently asked questions. But I'm here right now with Drew talking about an essential book for youth ministry. So Drew, what you got?
3: Yeah. um, So I kind of divide books into two categories, like books that you read and then books that you use. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the books that I've used here recently in, in the past year has been uh, Kevin DeYoung's book uh, on homosexuality yeah. uh, what does the Bible actually actually say or actually teach about homosexuality I always get that title wrong too yeah. I guess. Um, and uh, so we used that uh, we did a semester long study on just gender sexuality, manhood, womanhood LGBTQ issues um, transgenderism um, and Kevin DeYoung's book was massively helpful during that study because he just walks through everything so um, concisely and thoughtfully um, and, does it, and, and does it in a way that it doesn't come across as super heady and academic like I, I feel comfortable and have just given it to students for them to read it um, and the reason why we used that book and the reason why I think it's essential for student ministry and for students is um, something I told our students that uh, very quickly, if it hasn't already, sometime in the next two to three years um, in their lives, this is going to stop being just an issue that they hear about, and it's going to become a person with a face. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's gonna be someone that they know and love uh, who is going to struggle with homosexuality And they need to know, what does the Bible say about this? Um, How do I, as a Christian, need to think about this issue? Um, Is it like any other sin? Um, And and I love how he ends the book uh, because, I mean, let's be real, uh, evangelical Christians haven't really done ourselves any favors with how we treat homosexuality and those who are homosexual. Um, And so he ends it with, um, how are Christians supposed to behave towards those who struggle with a homosexual identity. Um, And he lands the plane on uh, you love them as compassionately and as far as you can so that you go up to the line of if I cross that line, I'm dishonoring the Lord, but I'm going to love you as much as I can. Um, The church is a place for broken people, sexually broken people, uh, behaviorally broken people. um, And it's a place for people who struggle with this sin. Um, so, it's a massively helpful book.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, something I've said about Kevin DeYoung for, for years is that he, he really is a, just a brilliant scholar, but he has such a way of communicating difficult, uh, challenging issues like this in a very accessible way and so mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've used that book with our students and i mean one one thing i like about it too is i mean not, not only all the footnotes in that that book you can tell he has done his research because i know before he came into the pca he was really dealing with this issue with his previous denomination but he's got the book divided into two sections and so one it looks at every single scripture reference you know to homosexuality but mm-hmm. then the frequently asked questions and so yeah that was a, a very helpful book um and, and Yeah, it it was just opened the door for a lot of discussions with students. Sadly, in some ways, it's become an essential um, book for them.
3: Yeah, and, I I mean, the more that we can do to – I mean, when I was thinking back to my high school days, this was not something that was discussed. Uh, Yeah, It wasn't – I mean, it wasn't even on the radar of issues to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the way that the culture is going, um, I mean, we need to be doing all that we can. That's why we took a whole semester. Like, this is – this is a hot thing going on in the culture right now um and a lot of our kids most of our kids go to like christian academies or christian schools uh but it's i mean as much as we try to insulate our students from this uh issue or really any issue um i think we kind of do them a disservice you know insulation is one thing but education also has to be part of that Um, yeah
2: yeah Yeah. and when i say sadly you know it's become an essential book uh, of of youth ministry. At the same time, there's an encouragement as, mm-hmm. you know, we are dealing with issues from, from the culture. Um, it sharpens us in our own theology. And not only what does the Bible teach, but okay, how can we, as you were pointing out, love these people who are struggling with this. So yeah. uh, Drew, that's a, a great book to recommend. you yeah, all those listening, I would say it's, it's an essential for sure. Um, so thanks for sharing that, Drew. Right yeah. now, here's Dr. Dan Doriani. Dr. Doriani, welcome to the podcast.
0: Great to be with you, John.
2: Good to good to have you. And I've also got Greg Meyer with me. Greg, how's it going? It's
4: going oh, well. Wow. Glad to be here too.
2: Um, Dr. Doriani, before we we jump in, um, I know you you wear many hats. Uh, working at uh, Covenant Seminary, you're an interim pastor, uh, but you're also a, a podcaster yourself. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about your your podcast and what you do there?
0: Yeah, so I try to interview interesting people, both uh, thinkers, you know, who can. Articulate their big ideas. So maybe uh, close to half my people, my guests, are thinkers about any number of things, and the other half are workers. You know, people who work in AI. Had a U.S. senator, ambassador to Namibia. Um, you know, people who manufacture heating and air conditioning units. All kinds of things like that. People who are dedicated Christians who think hard about their craft, and some of them are famous, and some are not. So we uh, we try to get all kinds of people talking about how their faith is put into practice in the workplace.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do like the spectrum. Like you said, some notable to not so notable. And one that I was just sharing pre-recording is, is Joe Buck. And that's a name many people will, will recognize. And, and you know, he was at your church. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. He went to a central Presbyterian church and uh, we stayed in touch over the years too, but he's actually, uh, he he actually is a communications theorist to some degree. I mean, he, there's similarities between, believe it or not, between preaching sermons and broadcasting football games that he's very attuned to. So,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, that was a very interesting interview. I want to point people um, uh, to that podcast and to that specific interview uh, episode that you had. Um, our listeners know that this is our rested development segment. And, um, uh, one thing about you, Dr. Doriani, is you have spent a great deal of time uh, researching, reading, writing about, publishing books on uh, the idea of work. And um, I'd love to just kind of hear some of the origins of that personally. What what was it? I mean, I know we, we, we all have a job. We all have to work. But what was it that just kind of piqued your interest in this?
0: Yeah, probably two or three things. The first is that my two grandfathers were very, very different from each other, professionally speaking. One was um, a significant singer in the world of opera. And you can still find his programs on the internet from 90 years ago. And he was actually a painter of some note. And his works are in museums here and there throughout the world. And my other grandfather was a, you know, a dirt farmer and a chicken farmer. And you know one was very famous and one was very non-famous and very non-prosperous. And they were both <clears throat> great men, and I loved them dearly. And it just hit me at a really early age. Wow, you can do s- things that are so different and, um, and find occupations and a living and joy in, in both of those very different works, lines of work. And then as a, a pastor, I had the blessing of churches with enormous diversity in the people who were in attendance. And so I just found it fascinating and, and always wanted to talk to them about what they do, why they do it, and how they practice their faith there. So I, I've interviewed hundreds of people. I, I'd say definitely over, 100, over 500 people by now about their work, and it's been a pleasure. Hmm.
2: Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And and Greg, I, I want you to well, I want you to jump in, but I thought it'd be helpful as we're we're getting into again, we're talking about rest and we're talking about work, but um I'd love to to just kind of set a foundation to to define work for us and maybe you could define it just kind of more more generally, just a basic definition, but then also kind of biblically um, some thoughts on work.
0: So did you ask me to do that or, or did you ask Greg to do that?
2: I'm sorry. I asked you to do that. I realize. <laughs> I,
0: will I, realize way- <laughs> I will gladly defer on that one.
4: Yeah.
0: So the short, the short definition <laughs> of work is a concentrated effort that is set to completing a task. Um, the 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 uh, marshaling of skills and resources to accomplish something significant. So you can debate whether washing a car is work. Uh, obviously, if you do it for a living, then it's then it's work. But if, when I do it with my grandchildren, it's, it's fuzzy boundary, because it's not quite clear whether the goal is to clean the car or to get each other wet and spread soap suds all over each other. But uh, the idea of concentration and attentiveness to a significant task. What I'm doing there, of course, is not defining work as paid labor. So when we take care of our children, if you're you know letting them roam around the house, it's not really clear if it's work or not, but when you're putting a bed, taking care of an infant, changing diapers, when you're preparing food, a nice meal for somebody, whether you're paid or not, that's work because you're trying to get nourishment to family and maybe family and friends um, by marshalling your resources, which in this case is food and you know, fire and pots and pans and so forth and of course a lot of our work is compensated and uh we call then that that's a job and at best that's also a vocation or calling Mm
2: -hmm. yeah greg please jump in
4: yeah you know i know this happens you know if you look back at history there's different relationships different cultures have with work and different Mm -hmm. viewpoints on work um you know my own reflection would be that in the western culture of america specifically we have an interesting Uh, maybe contradicting relationship with work. As as you've thought about work, as you thought about how we interact with it as Americans or just Western culture, um, what's our relationship like with work and how did it it get there?
0: Yeah, I think you're certainly right that it's conflicted. So for most of human history, people had to work or they simply perished. One thing we forget is until the year 1910, um, when we introduced means of fixing nitrogen in the soil, Almost everybody was two harvests away from mass starvation, hmm. and you know now we have too much food, and we have all these choices. And really, nitrogen fixation didn't become available to you know the wide populace till 1950, probably 1960, 1970. Get gets farther and farther throughout the world. So you know, 200 years ago, 85 percent of all Americans were farmers because they had to be. I mean, they had to just put all that work into raising food, and you know, you made your own home to some extent. And so it's an absolute necessity. Today, uh, we have it conflated with all the issues of abundance such as fulfillment, happiness, and then questions like what's your goal? Is it to earn as much as you can, retire early, gain status, gain security, or is your goal to find a job where you work 38 hours a week and you pay, you get enough so you can still be kayaking and rock climbing on weekends. Um, you're not in subsistence uh, status, right? You're still, making something but the goal is not to make as much as you can and as you know there'd be a at least theoretically or we say there's a gap between boomers and gen z on that front boomers are workaholics you know allegedly and often are and gen z is you know all bunch of lazy bums who <laughs> want to work as little as they possibly can um and of course there have always been people who are lazy and there are always people who work very hard but there is some There's probably some truth to the fact, to the idea that we've changed our outlook in America and are less interested in accomplishing and working as hard as we can to get to the top uh, than we were, say, 20 or 30 years ago.
4: Mm -hmm. This is a follow up. I mean, have you have you seen how the pandemic has affected that? Has it it made any big shifts just as you've been reflecting on on that experience?
2: Totally sold my question. Greg, by the
4: way. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: uh, certainly. Uh-huh. Yeah, the pandemic did a lot of things. What we found out, of course, recently, is that the great resignation is actually a uh, a misnomer and a mislabeled event. What actually was happening was people were taking a few weeks off while looking for the next gig that paid better, and <laughs> it's just taking some benefits for a while, taking some vacation. So. It's, uh, I don't think we've uh, discerned fully yet what happened to the pandemic. We have learned that some people can work very effectively with no supervision at home. And we've learned that some people can't. And it's gonna take a while to discern which workplace um, and which kind of worker fits where, because you know, the hardworking self-disciplined person probably does well only being in the office two days a week because they're pulled away from their tasks to be social, which they don't want to be, but you, you can't afford to be a jerk, right? <laughs> so you actually get less work done. And then, of course, if you're away all the time, you don't have that, um, let's say, a godly ferment of ideas when people bump into each other and say, man, I've got a problem. I'm, I'm so stuck. I'm just glad I, I saw you here uh, at this lunch event because I really need some help and you might be able to help me. So that, that has been lost uh, to some extent, and we're going to have to sort out. To what extent we need to uh, be in each other's presence, and to what degree isolated work is actually best for many people, at least part of the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Dr. Doriani, just a minute ago, you were referencing a certain number of hours uh, to work a week. And I'm sure many people may be aware of this. I am not, but kind of the origins of the you know 40 hour work week, kind of what, where did that come from? And then I'd love for you to think just kind of biblically thoughts on that. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, 40-hour work week.
0: First of all, you can call me Dan, John. Okay. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Thanks. I, I meant to say that earlier. Uh, so <laughs> Thanks, the Dan. first thing we want to say is that uh, the way we view time today is so different from the way time is viewed in the Bible. In the Bible, it's it's um, in the Old Testament, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And the seventh day is Sabbath. And then with the resurrection of Jesus, that flipped. And so we start by taking a day off. It's like hey, John, you have a new job. Um, the first thing I want you to do is take a week of vacation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I just, I mean, I love that so much because it says, look, the beginning of your work week is to rest in Jesus and to pause and and strengthen by your faith, by your presence in uh, worship, hearing the word, praising God, you'll be better able to work this week. Uh, the 40-hour work week, uh, first of all, uh, assumes five days of work. And in the Bible, it does say we work six days. There's nothing wrong with working four days for labor, for pay, and working at home two or five and one. Or for that matter, if you can earn enough money and satisfy your employer in three and a half days and do other things as a volunteer the rest of the week or you know, take care of your house, build a house, why not, in your spare time. <laughs> uh, that's all good stuff. Uh, there's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, exactly why it's 48 hours or 40 hours a week, I don't know uh exactly why that is it has something to do with breakfast and dinner at home and it also has a lot to do with uh, opposition to exploitation which was so common in the early industrial age when people worked at the pace of machines uh, so very much Uh, but there are other factors which uh, you know i'm not sure we need to enumerate them but 40 is allegedly the norm i'm not sure if it really is or not
4: sure I got got a kind of a, maybe a follow-up question to that. Um, You know, there's, there's, is there such a thing as moderation in in how we approach our work and how much we work? Because, you know, everybody loves to say, oh, I'm I'm really busy. Um, There's, everybody's talking more about experiencing burnout and the effects of not caring for oneself. Um, But at the same time, you have this Christian ethic of do everything excellently, always, all the time um, and can get misapplied. Um, and, And we can obviously be doing our work for the wrong reasons or be putting the emphasis in the wrong place in our lives. Um, but but is there such a thing as moderation in our work? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, there is definitely such
0: a thing as moderation. Um, and although the word moderation doesn't per se appear in the Bible, there are Greek words that could be translated, you know, temperance could be translated moderation. Um, it's possible to translate one of the words in the fruit of the spirit as moderation i'll say that much at least although the bible doesn't stress moderation the way ancient greeks did they always held that virtue was you know between the extremes uh, courage is right between rashness taking crazy risks getting killed in war and cowardice running away from conflict that was that was aristotle um so we don't define virtue that way but we do say self-control and um temperance are commended in scripture Uh, I'm going to comment two other ways. First of all, I I hate the idea that everybody should be busy. And people say to me, oh, Dr. D, I just don't want to ask you, you're so busy. I go, no, I'm not busy. I have big projects. I have important projects. But I try not to be busy. Busy, who wants to be busy? Eugene Peterson had a riff on that and said, you know, when we, other people do too. When you want to get away from real work, you, you get busy to give the appearance of doing stuff. Real work takes concentration. And it takes binging, like giving six or 12 or 15 hours in the span of two or three days to a task that cannot be interrupted. So busyness is actually the antithesis of productivity and getting stuff done. So a, a pox on busyness, number one. And also a pox on the idea that we should be excellent all the time. That's ridiculous. <laughs> who wants to write excellent emails all the time? Write pretty good <laughs> emails that are clear enough. Uh, you know, Who has time? to be excellent at everything they do. I guarantee you when I mow my grass, I do not aim for excellence. I aim to cut the grass. And if there's some huge tufts that I missed, I'll pick them up. But if there are a few tufts here and there, too bad. That's the way it goes.
4: So so you're in favor of deep
0: work and choppy yards.
4: That's what we're saying?
0: I'm in favor of deep work. And if a choppy yard happens to be a negative side effect, I don't care.
4: (laughs) That's good. That's good.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I love it. And I, I love yeah, your comment on 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 busyness um, and kind of redefining what, what that is. And and look, well, we're at time right now, but I'm glad that you'll be with us for the next two weeks to, to revisit some of this. So, Dan and Greg, uh, thank you. Look forward to more next week. All right. Today I have four guests with me. Um, and Kurt is already saying this is gonna be really tough, but we're going to we're gonna see if this this is gonna work. Um so let me go this way and everybody just say, Hey, introduce yourself.
5: My name's Kurt and this is gonna be an absolute failure.
1: <laughs> my name's Lynn I'm really excited about it in spite of Kurt.
6: <laughs> my name's Tree, and I think this is gonna be somewhere in the middle.
7: Uh my name's Chris and I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so um
2: yeah. Uh, we're in Colorado. Uh, it's a rainy day in Colorado. Um, we're all indoors. Um, we have no idea if students are going to come into this building. It could get kind of loud. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting to talk to you guys. It's, as we said yesterday when we recorded, I guess that was last week, the one that aired last week. It's fun to be able to, to sit in each other's presence and actually have these conversations instead of looking uh, through Zoom. Uh, today, uh, we've talked about doing frequently asked questions in youth ministry or just kind of general questions but we're actually going to talk about Lynn's elective um, and just kind of see where that goes and so Chris that's what we're going to be talking about so you're oh, wow. you're you're aware <laughs> um, and everyone in here yeah everyone here has an elective teacher I just realized that so uh, thank you guys for for serving RYM and teaching an elective um, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll get I back. Yeah. I required my
7: honorarium before I showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I got a T-shirt from 1973. It's
2: Perfect. It's collector's <laughs> item. <Yeah. laughs> so, so, Lynn, why don't you briefly just tell us the title of your elective mm-hmm. blurb about it, and then we'll just kind of jump in and get from there.
1: Yeah, so the title is FaceTime versus Real Time, Having Real Conversations, or Let's Talk, something like that. Um, And it was just about I've seen a lot of social anxiety in our students specifically since we went like virtual learning and now they're back in person if they want to be and just how much anxiety that's been causing them. And then, of course, anxiety is like another one of those buzzwords like depression has been or, um, you know, an extreme feeling. So I wanted to help equip students in ways that I've seen be helpful in my own life and in like the lives of people who are close to me. So that's what we did. So we did um, case studies from the Bible like with Moses and God and then the Samaritan woman and Jesus and talked about keys to conversation and also like anxiety coping mechanisms like healthy ones Mm. Um, we talked about unhealthy ones and then the last day which is my favorite is when i like kind of forced them into practicing some of the things that they've learned and we did almost like a speed dating sort of thing but it was all about conversations and it was like yeah you'd have 30 seconds to talk about a topic that i yelled at you and (laughs) then after that 30 seconds the next person would like you would just alternate people so they would switch and i'd yell out a new topic and so
2: so they're all in different chairs they move around you give a topic and they just they're in two around. parallel
1: lines, and yeah. then line A would shift to the left. Yeah. yeah, and so it would be a new person every time, and I had them write down nouns before. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I, I never did speed dating. I don't care, yeah. too.
5: <laughs> I just want to inform John, because he's always asking about youth group games. We play a version of this game uh where we do the same exact thing except we have a bunch of different two people bo- two person board games. So you're and every you play every five minutes. So you're always playing a new game every five minutes and you're always playing against a brand new person. Oh, and it's cool. kind of fun because sometimes people uh who normally wouldn't interact are gonna interact over, you know, Connect four or, or they may get in a fight over it. Who knows? Oh that's a great question. So they're on teams. There's like one side is one team, one side is the other. And I know this is not what the pot is about. So John is like <laughs> panicking right now. But but you 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 pick up the game wherever you left off. So if it's like Monopoly, oh, you pick up, and there's like a little thing that's like a little dial that says whose turn it is. Like we li- like, and so you know whose turn it is when you switch to the new game or whatever. And there's a ton of two-person games you can use too. So yeah. Anyway sorry
2: uh, look i love That's it I, I think I yeah fame. i mean something similar that we did one time is on a, on a charter bus the <laughs> 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 just said i'm trying to <laughs> top his story <laughs> um so the aisle seats would rotate um like every five minutes just to make everybody talk to each other yeah. and they had to put up their phones so it was like our senior high they had to all put up their phones and then talk to each other um some students hated that um so no interesting interesting uh um elective uh tree chris kurt have you noticed issues uh, in your own youth group uh, on, on this topic about conversation struggles tree
6: yeah i've noticed uh just over the years there's there's always the students that just don't know how to talk to anybody and uh, i'm always encouraging my students to try and like open up their circles a little bit which is part of what my elective was about uh, is just finding ways to be more welcoming um, but i i've really tried to teach my students and practice this myself like the, the kids that like their interests are like a universes away from mine like the books they read the tv shows they watch I, I could care less about them but I love hearing them talk to me about them because I might be the only person that they can actually talk to about it so just letting them talk it, it, I think is awesome too uh, especially because many of the other kids in the youth group may not be interested in talking about those things but yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, th- half the time I don't. I still have no clue what they're talking about. But, but at least they get to talk about it. So.
7: So you're talking about like. Um, uh, your your talk was on like building healthy relationships post pandemic. No, it's more about
1: how to engage, like to build those relationships, right? Yeah, like yeah, how to yeah. even start a conversation in person instead of oh just yeah. being comfortable texting, right? Like
7: yeah. That's yeah. Not, so. What what's like? What do you feel like is in the top three most important things? You hope that a kid came away from in your talk
1: one is i tried to emphasize that like no matter how good or bad you are at conversation it's Mm -hmm. not the greatest thing about you right like whether you struggle with anxiety or you don't or at whatever level you do it's not your greatest identity Um, and so no matter how um far you come in learning how to to have a conversation or how many moments you miss in life because anxiety holds you back again like your identity in christ is the greatest thing about you and and Mm -hmm. these are just blips in that moment Also really hoped that students would be, feel equipped at least to make one step forward in this battle against anxiety. As I've seen specifically my sister, like as she's become equipped just to see how much more life she gets to experience because she's not feeling so debilitated by her anxiety. Whether that's just learning how to take a couple of deep breaths, or grounding techniques, or we named one of our techniques was naming your anxiety. So I had all the students yell, Silencio Bruno, like they oh do from yeah. Luca, yeah. which is just really cool. And a student told me today, he did that up on um, a hike the other day. He was feeling anxious about something he thought he looked stupid doing. And he was like, I named my anxiety Madison, which I think is a very common name. And he was just like, Shut up, Madison, shut up, Madison. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Well, that's <laughs> great. Um, yeah, so that, and then a coping mechanism. And really just seeing, like, how easy it can be to have conversations. It doesn't have to be this big, like, momentous, like, I don't have anything interesting to talk about, so I'm not even going to take that step forward or um, whatever. But just actually saying, like, hey, did like what did you do during free time? Like, there you go. Door open. Like, the ball started rolling. It's, it's easier than they, they think it is. Low, low stakes, really. You know?
5: Yeah, it helps to uh, ask questions. And I find that students oftentimes, they get – caught up in how they're coming across in a conversation uh it really helps to actually just be interested in the other person right it makes aw- uh it makes uh, conversations a little less awkward but when you're 16 and you're self-absorbed mm-hmm. and you think that everything is about you it really is hard to step outside yourself and you know all of us the five of us in here we're sometimes it's easy for me to think Oh, why can't these kids reach out to the new kid or the quiet kid? Like, why, why can't they, um, you know, the, the new kid or the quiet kid doesn't want to be friends with me. I'm a 40 year old man. He wants he or she wants to be friends with these other kids. And why? But that's where they are at this point. So it, get just even, just even encouraging them to just ask questions, to actually care about the person enough to ask questions, even about things that aren't interesting. It's really not that hard to be kind and be friends with someone it's not like a it's like a complicated thing you just have to step outside yourself and it's really hard for a high school student to do that um we're not they are not we're not that far removed from this but they are definitely not that far removed from having their parents drop them off like a block away so they don't so they're not seen getting out of the minivan (laughs) and if you're that self-absorbed man it's gonna be tough to like really engage with someone else makes it difficult
1: that's like a good bit, we talked, two of the like secret weapons that we talked about wha- was that um, asking good questions, like just asking questions is a good way, like if you're nervous about talking, well, if you ask questions, then they'll talk, right? But then also, um, we talked about cultivating curiosity, but then like the secret weapon that I call is tell me more. Like if you don't know what else to say, just ask them to tell you more, and they get to choose what to tell you, which tells you what is important to them, and then it helps you find that point of connection.
2: Yeah, this is such an interesting elective to me. Um, d- just curious, you know, as you thought about this concept and you started to develop it more, what's something you learned uh, just about conversation or even from teaching it and getting questions from students and youth workers that are present? What, what are some things that kind of surprised you maybe about this subject?
1: Some of the things that are so simple. Like one example I got of a, an, an anxiety-inducing <laughs> situation for a girl was, ordering food at chipotle she gets so nervous every time she has this like little mini attack that she's like i can't talk to this woman like she's gonna like think my burrito is so ridiculous or whatever (laughs) like she was just like yeah that's a i'd love for us to talk about how to do that and then the three or four students was like yeah i feel the same when somebody comes up to me in the grocery or not the grocery store but the shopping mall and it's like hey can i help you and it's like no like i really like please don't talk to me you know just that was really surprising to me and uh, something i learned um i think has been about this Uh, buzzword idea right of um, only 13% of teenagers 12 to 17 are actually diagnosably uh, experiencing anxiety everybody else is on the spectrum or we just need to learn a vocabulary of actually I'm feeling shy and not anxious right or actually I'm feeling scared and not anxious and um, how much developing a vocabulary has been even just helpful for me of like okay I'm feeling something but it's not anxious, it feels like anxiety, but it's not, I'm actually shy. And so I wanted to find out like only 13% of that age group is diagnosable. Everybody else like, is either feeling something, well they said that 40% of those students were actually feeling shy. So I was just really interested in like, oh, we need to keep developing our vocabulary about how to help students express what they're feeling.
7: Is it like? uh, I mean, I think about this all the time when I have a lot of kids that are introverted, and and I'm very much an introvert too. And, um, but just in my, I guess in my age, I've just learned I've just got to hang out with people, you know. Like, um, but as far as like leaders, volunteers, and things, what are healthy ways to train like leaders? Like, I've I've got a good bit of introverts in my youth group, and I've also got a good number of introverted leaders too. What are, like, some good ways you think would be to train, apart from, like, listening to your talks, but would be good ways to train, like, leaders to engage with more introverted kids?
1: That's a good question. And for me, I, like, often, I think in hindsight, I can see where I've maybe cornered kids into engaging, Where and like, I didn't read, oh, they're feeling very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> like, to be better about reading the room, that's something I could grow in, and I think that's something that our leaders, like, just be aware of we don't need to force kids into being something, right? But at least letting them know like, hey, I see you. And whenever you're ready to like get in the pool and talk, like we can do that, right? Um, So I think that, but also as we build relationships with students, teaching leaders how, like what mechanisms are helpful for when our students are feeling that way. So just even one after a YLT training, actually, we had Sissy Goff there. And she talked about the, the five senses and how when somebody starts to, have a, an anxiety attack or feel it coming on, you can ask them, like, tell me one thing you can see, two things you can smell, three things you can taste, four things you can hear, and five things you can feel, or something like that. And it's just a grounding mechanism. I had no idea before, and I've used it on some students since then, and that, like, it was just so helpful for getting them out of that spiral. So I think teaching them coping mechanisms and also how to read the students of, like, this one you can push a little bit more, but this one you, like, you shouldn't, yeah.
6: Oof to hear you talk about so I, the students that clearly just don't want to be there like not even the introverts just the ones that just are flat out and and I say that because I was that kid like I would hide in my room on Wednesday nights hoping my mom would forget that it was Wednesday night just so I wouldn't <laughs> have to just so I would have to I wouldn't have to go to youth group because I, I didn't know anybody and I didn't want to be there so like how do what will what be some tools that that we can put in our tool belts to help Maybe re-engage, I don't know if re-engage is the right word, but engage those kids that are just like, they're there because their parents are making them be, mm-hmm. be there, and they cannot wait till their parents come to pick them up. Yeah. Or they just go off and hide somewhere, <laughs> had that happen too.
1: That's... Uh, th- these are great questions, by the way. Um, so I was also, th- well, I wasn't really that student, but my first youth group ever, I was 16, I had an eyebrow ring, and I sat next to my sister who had a lip ring. She sat next to a boy who had yellow pants and then a girl who had pink hair, and nobody talked to us for the whole two hours of youth group. That was my first youth group. Yeah, it was the yellow pants and the pink hair. It wasn't me and my lip ring. Yeah, she was
5: also team. scowling at everybody. She, she, just, <laughs> yeah. she, just growl- she just growled at everyone. Yeah. She's not mentioning <laughs> that part.
1: And Kurt was there. He didn't say hi either. But yeah, I like, <laughs> no. but that's,
5: I th- that's where I lost my pinky finger. So. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, so I've also had that experience of like, oh, my gosh, when is my dad going to be back? Right. Um, I think um, maybe we talked about it, but before it's really important to listen or to read the room right of what does this kid find interesting? Right. So um, they, they probably don't want to talk about Jesus or want to talk about scripture or you know golf i don't know if that's what you want to talk about whatever it is they know what they what makes them light up and we talked in the seminar about um finding that point of connection right is like what makes them light up and then you talk to them about that and so it is kind of a like if you can get them to talk to you right cuz uh, it's also man with teenage girls sometimes when they get their sassy pants on it's just like okay like i'm going to have to go boys through sassy pants on. teenage boys have sassy pants too yeah i <laughs> have sassy, sassy pants <laughs> Um, yeah so I think (laughs) it's the like (laughs) (laughs) it's the finding okay I'm gonna try at least to find what makes this kid light up even if it's not something that's relevant to anything we're doing here so they at least know like I see that you're a human being you have a favorite color like I get that you don't want to be here but just I don't only want to talk to you when you want to be here right like Mm. going past that
7: how do you engage with like Because you know you get like the the cool kid click right the weird kid click and then whatever else you know God's provided but Mm -hmm. like um, I always find it challenging, like, to engage the cool kid clique that, you know, I'm I'm weird so I don't feel intimidated by them, but there's this, maybe I am intimidated by them. D- there's this presence around them that sometimes, you know, I've heard leaders say, I'm Chris, honestly, I'm kind of ready for them to graduate, <laughs> and so I can hang out with the nerdy kids that are insecure like I am, mm-hmm. you know, like so what are ways that you can engage with like that cool click that could be intimidating the good-looking kids or like the sporty kids or whatever yeah. and not just pour all of our time into like um, other other groups
1: that's also a good question does anybody yeah do you have some?
5: well i was just gonna say uh, it's funny that you say that chris because i anyone who meets me knows that uh, i was i've never been uh, the best athlete in any collection yes. of any people and uh and and never the best looking person in any group and yeah no it's (laughs) tough it's tough to believe but yeah it's tough turns out you can't teach handsome so um but but then but then I, I came I came to Montgomery you know and uh no everyone seems to be really with it actually and in our youth group and it's something that we deal with on a constant on a daily basis is that, you know, we've got really phenomenal athletes or really pretty girls or handsome guys or, and not, it's not even about those things really. It's just about how, I think what intimidates people is how comfortable they are in their own skin, right? Because it's, they've got all these problems and we've got really wealthy students too, or as I like to say, well-resourced, well-resourced students. And uh, one thing I think is really interesting about that is one, some people think, "Oh, you're at, you know, this church and they have a they have a lot of money or whatever. It must be easy to be a minister there." As if rich people don't have any problems. Okay. They're just, you know, rich people just have or, you know, or uh, some of the most insecure students I've ever had are the best-looking ones or the most athletic ones. Um absolutely. And, you know, I think it's on us as youth ministers to do two things. One, to educate those kids about who they are and how they come off so that they can do ministry and engage with kids who aren't as cool or aren't together and with it but also on the same side to not turn those kids who are a little bit awkward or maybe bookish or nerdish it's not turn those kids into pharisees and be like yeah that those that that pretty girl can't have real faith, you know, because everything's easy for her. Man, that's not something we want to be creating either. So it's kind of like a two-way street in my experience. It's like, hey, everybody's got something to offer, right? And, you know, society values different people's gifts differently. Uh, but, you know, what does Paul say? We're a body. I'm not going to quote scripture to you guys. You guys know all know it anyway. But we're a body, and we have many different members, right? We all can't be elbows. We all can't be knees. Uh, we all can't be whatever, you know. So I think it's a difficult thing, but, I, you know, I think, Uh, My tendency is to jump over with the less athletic or the less, you know, pretty people and be like, "Yeah, look at them. They're, you know, that's even worse." Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's a mistake you don't want to make. You also don't want to try to be cool. By the way, if any youth ministers listen to this, never try to be cool. You aren't cool. You never were cool. If you try to be cool, it'll ruin your ministry. I'm gonna give up the mic now.
2: (laughs) I was just about to say, sincerely, talk about that a little bit more. What do you mean? Don't, Don't.
5: No, see, here's John, here's, here's, here's John sucking up to Lynn by using the tell me more thing that she just (laughs) told us to do. John's like, tell, 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 (laughs) John, look, every,
2: I could just tell it lit a fire and so I want to see you just,
5: everyone, everyone likes you. You don't have to like do anything extra. We're all here for you. So you don't have to like, I'm sure everyone, everyone, I mean, you're the only doctor here, right? <laughs> um so well uh, all that to say is that uh one time they asked me to teach an elective at uh T. about they told me I could teach on anything I wanted and I decided to call it you were never cool and I talked about my first part of my first time doing youth ministry and how I thought like I would make these kids like me by being the really cool youth minister and it was such a huge mistake mm-hmm. Um, one, I'm not cool, two, I've never been cool, and three, being a youth minister is not my opportunity to, like, finally be cool, oh, right? Yeah. Like, it's not, and if you do that, all you do is you just completely undercut your message of the gospel, Right, because another thing you'll do, and I'm not going to name check anybody, but some ministries, this is like part of their philosophy, is you end up trying to like grab just the cool kids, right? And you're like, oh, the others will come with them or whatever. What a dangerous and anti-gospel idea to have, right? It's like we're going to go after the cool kids so that, and then maybe we'll get the stragglers along with them. So, all that to say is that if you are listening to this and you're a youth minister, that's going to be a temptation that you have. It's a te- certainly a temptation that I have, and. It's a huge mistake to fall, you know, to give in to that temptation. And you have to learn to talk about things that aren't cool, right? Like what Tree and what Lynn was saying, very important. Like, I talk about deer hunting a lot. I've never killed a deer, (laughs) okay? I've never hunted a deer in my life. Oh, I've been turkey hunting. So they, I had killed a a turkey? No, they took me turkey hunting as a joke. And um, they were, and I made a bet with my youth that if I could kill a turkey, they would all have to join youth choir because none of them wanted to be in it. (laughs) I am not in it. I you know So then I like post on Instagram and it's me in all camouflage and it says gobble gobble and like all these all these uh boys are like, Did you get one? Wait, like they're all getting nervous or whatever, but no. That
2: was really cool. Um so look, I know it's uh I feel like yeah, we're just opening up a can of worms. We're we're past twenty minutes and I know um we're we're drawing this to a close last thoughts i mean lynn tree kurt chris anybody just kind of some last comments on this whole conversation about conversation <laughs> i was trying to think of another word but it just came out any other thoughts from this
1: i think for me at least it's been really encouraging when the students come up and this is like a um a workshop leader thing of like it's so encouraging when the students come up and say hey this was really helpful right or like i actually did this thing or oh i never heard it that way before right Of just how even that little encouragement can be so uplifting for us from our students so when i think about like how much it must mean to them when we when we notice things that they do or right like like personalize something for them oh my gosh i saw you talk to that person on the bus who hasn't talked to them before like how much it like air really or yeah air it must give them like under their wings is that the I don't think that's a okay. metaphor. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, just yeah I just think of Yeah. Like it goes such a long way. So when I think about like anything that we do to model good conversation or asking questions or being interested, even when you know you're not into the topic or like being authentically who you are, if that's not who you're cool. Like I just forget sometimes how much students watch us like do everything. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah that, that That's a good word. And, and again, just such an interesting elective to have, but it's hopefully instructive to all of us to, to realize that, you know, yes, conversation is just something students can kind of naturally do, but also at the same time, they've got to be instructed in this. This, this needs to be something that youth workers think about, um, just teaching students on how to have conversation and those parents who are listening, um, practicing that in the home. And I mean, maybe, again, we're closing this out, but the entire busyness epidemic of, you know, students not being in the home and having and sitting around a dinner table, having discussion as a family, maybe that's you know an aspect of all this, but look, Tree, Lynn, Kurt, Chris, uh, thank y'all for being a part of this. Good to see y'all. Oh,
7: come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay.